So I've done projects where it's entirely like hard money. I'll go syndicate the funds that are needed like outside of the construction loan, which if I'm just, if I'm syndicating it right and I have to sign for the loan, which I've done in the past, my signature, my guarantee didn't mean anything. So I couldn't go to a First Republic or a Bank of California, any of these larger institutions to get a construction loan, which would have been cheaper. I have to go the private money route. So I've done that for just a construction piece. And then we would buy the, the land cash. That's typically the, the route I would like to go. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Josh Gorakovsky from Telos Properties. And today we're talking about principles of new real estate development in expensive markets, specifically in LA. That's where he's doing business. We're going to walk through the whole strategy. We're going to walk through how he finds deals, how he evaluates deals, the timeframes that it takes, how he finds the money from passive investors, FYI, and so much more in there. It's a really interesting strategy. We talk about get to the exit strategy, a lot of information. And I really appreciate Josh being so sharing with the information today and sharing so much about his strategy and how he does it. And I think you're going to learn a lot if you're interested in new development or kind of revitalization development, if you will, maybe that's the term for it. I think there's just so much great information in here. I know there are a lot of you guys out there who live in expensive markets where cash flow is not available with existing properties. And this is a strategy that he's using to create cash flow in an expensive market. So very fascinating. And you're going to learn a lot once again. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And you know what? People see your reviews, they read your reviews, and they say, hey, this person learned something. Maybe I can learn something too. And they tune in. And you know what? I see your reviews as well. And I appreciate that so much, you guys because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, if you haven't subscribed, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Josh Gorakovsky from Telos Properties. Without any further ado, here we go. Josh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Pretty excited to dig into this topic today of real estate development in expensive markets, what you do out there in LA. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do in real what you do in real estate now and how you got there, where you came from? Yeah. Josh Gorkowski, I have a development firm here in Los Angeles. We focus on smaller multifamily developments primarily. So usually within the two to four range, sometimes a little bit more, you know, five, six. And then we'll also do some smaller single family developments. And uh, I got started in college. I met my my now mentor through a family friend who is a big multifamily guy here in Los Angeles. He was doing development at the time, still is. But when I met him, he was primarily focusing on development instead of um, acquiring value add multifamily. So I kind of, I don't know if I would say stumbled into 
development, but was kind of doing it because he was, that was the flavor of the month for him. So I, I really enjoyed it and, uh, you know, built my, my company up slowly deal by deal. So that was about five, almost five years ago. And that has brought me to today. That is the high level. That's the high level, quicker answer. (laughs) Well, and you, you came from the, we were talking about this before recording, but you came from the corporate world and you really dove into the world of real estate and development, which is very impressive. I mean, a lot of folks are not willing to just make the leap, but you did that. Yeah. I, I like to think, first of all, I had a few things going for me, right? It wasn't just that I decided I made it happen. I mean, you have to have some luck involved too, and you have to have some other parts of your life going for you that make it so, right? So I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. I didn't have people that were depending on me. So I selfishly could make that decision and say, I'm going to go eat dirt for a little bit, right? And and give up that that corporate job, the 401k, all that, because I was willing to. If I didn't, you know, if I wasn't on my own, then I don't know if that decision would have been so simple. But yeah, I did. And I was I was playing more of the long game and I still am playing the long game. So yeah, that's uh, that, that is what I'm happening. Hey, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. And I want to dig into the types of deals that you guys do and, and hopefully work to some principles of real estate development in expensive or high-end markets. So first, can you tell us about the, the types of properties uh, that you're out there developing there in LA? Yeah. So it's up to this point been primarily duplex style, townhouse style development. Um, we'll usually demolish a single family house that's on a lot that's zoned for more units. You know, they're not massive lots and are not zoned for hundreds of units. Um, they're usually anywhere from 6,000 to 8,000 ish, most of the time, square feet. And we will end up building usually two duplexes on a lot. Now, with certain regulations changing, they're letting you put a little bit more on the lot. So you can maybe squeeze a fifth unit in there or a sixth unit within those duplexes. But typically, the the development style has been several duplexes on a lot. Cool. Okay. So let's first start with tracking down those properties. You said typically a single family that's on a lot that's zoned for a duplex or maybe a a few more units. How do you track Mm -hmm. those down? Because I can imagine if that type of thing hits the MLS, it might get kind of competitive. So do you go off market or are you comfortable with the MLS? How do you find the deals in the first place? A little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I purchased my fair share of deals that are on the MLS through either my relationship with the agent, maybe being the first one to reach out to them, um, being the person to overpay for the lot because I really believe in the area, or maybe I'm seeing something that others aren't, which isn't usually the case because I'm not that smart. But Sometimes, you know, there is a play that maybe a lot of people aren't seeing, but I've also purchased a lot of, of lots directly to homeowners. I, I'm at my job sites very frequently and I try to be very friendly with the neighbors whenever I see them. So I've ended up buying quite a few properties like that. And then just relationships with brokers that, you know, I have owned, owned in on over the years and maintained where they'll bring me a deal before they've been put on the market. Nice. Okay. So it's not like you have a a whole machine on the back end built with lists and direct mail and anything like that, where you're going and hunting down the deals. It's that there's enough out there that's kind of on the market and also through your networking, you're able to locate them. Am I getting that right? When I first got started, when when I first got started, there wasn't that much to do, right? Like I didn't have projects to manage and I didn't have 
people to manage. The only thing I was doing was trying to find deals. So when I first got started, yes, there was a lot of that grassroots marketing, door knocking and cold calling, mailers and all that stuff. And when I say mailers, I mean dropping off mailers, not paying for mailers because I had no money to pay for mailers. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of that. And these days it's, it's really slowed down because I just haven't gotten the time. And I try to take at least one day a week to myself, which has always happened, but sometimes I like to take a week, a day, a day, a week to myself to kind of recalibrate for the, for the coming week. So between all that, there hasn't been that much time, but I'm actually starting up a marketing campaign right now. It's not going to be a crazy marketing campaign. I do have friends that do very extensive, expensive marketing campaigns, and I haven't gotten to that level yet, but I'm doing a little bit of, of paid marketing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you really have a, a number of sources for deals to keep the pipeline full so you don't get distracted by deals you're actually working on. You keep deals coming in. Okay, great. So I think the first, one of the things that strikes me here is that this strategy works. You're you're buying an existing property and knocking it down and building a new one, which is probably unique to a higher end market like that. How are you running the numbers to make that work? Is Because I would imagine there's a fair amount of dilapidation, if you will, to the properties that you're acquiring. So walk us through, you know, that process of sorting through them and figuring out what's a good deal. Yeah. So the the regulations have changed since the beginning of this year, which I could talk about in a second. But prior to that, it was, you know, buying these, these houses, which you are overpaying for the house in itself, right? If you just look at the house and the, you know, what's, what's there in terms of, you know, an end user, what they're willing to pay. Most of the time you're overpaying in that regard, but you, you're buying, you know, I'll just give you some rough numbers. And it varies within, within Los Angeles. There's so many municipalities, you know, LA is a big city. So every city has its own different numbers of what you should be paying and what it's going to be worth on the back end and your rents, yada, yada, yada. But uh, one market that I'm pretty heavy in is in North Hollywood and there, the most recent project that we are wrapping up right now, we purchased for $720,000 and um, be a house direct to the homeowner. And by the time we are now, this is two years ago. So about two years later, we're finishing up the project right now. We have our final inspection this Friday. So we are all in on that project at a million eight, just to keep numbers round, right? So I've spent uh, uh, 1.1, almost $1.1 million in, in, pre-construction and soft and hard construction costs, and then property taxes, all the other things that come along with it. And we just got an appraisal for 2.75 million. Wow. So yeah, so we got a, we got a, we got a, a nice appraisal and we're going to refine it. I keep the leverage pretty low. So it'll be, we're going to tack on probably 65% loan. And these are considered residential, right? Cause it's less than four, less than five units. So I'm getting a residential loan, which is typically a higher LTV than you'd get with commercial, right? And, and usually a little more aggressive on the interest rate too. So we'll get that going. We'll get the tenants in there. And it should, if my numbers end up you know, working out, it, it should be a over 20% cash on cash deal when it's all said and done. Wow. Wow. Awesome. So we'll talk about, I want to get to exit strategy. I want to put that on a shelf for a minute. We'll, we'll get there. But you mentioned about the, the new regulations this year. So what, what's the deal with those? What changed? Basically in California, what has happened is a bill was passed SB8 that states, and I'm obviously paraphrasing here, but what it states is that if you are going to demolish any units, including a single unit, a house, 
on a lot and then you plan on building more than just a single unit, right? Then whatever you have demolished, you must replace with an affordable unit Hmm. and affordable as in the state affordable program. So they're going to dictate how much I can charge for that unit, what kind of tenant I can rent out to. And then that continues as depending on how many units you demolish. So if I demolish two units, I got to put back two affordable units and so on and so forth. So, you know, for the, for the bigger developments, which this has always been a part of larger developments where they have to have some kind of affordable component, you know, I don't, I don't obviously, I'm not for it, but it's not going to be hitting the bottom line as hard. With these smaller developments, I mean, you're talking about in a 40 year development, you're talking about 25% at least of the bottom line. So it pretty much kills the business. I don't know if it kills the business model, but it really makes it hard to to make these pencil. Interesting. So what's the plan in light of that? Or what's your plan? I'm sure you're, you're a resourceful guy. I mean, I know you've got a plan here. I submitted my application to Starbucks. So I'm going to become a barista now. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> um yeah, so there is a cap. I mean, the, the one the one exemption is that if the homeowner's been there for five years and uh, you can show that they've been claiming the homeowner exemption on their property taxes, then you are good. Mm. Apparently, you're good. You won't have to have an affordable component. I'm actually going through that on two new acquisitions right now. So we can uh, check in and record a second show a little bit down the line and, and I'll let you know how that went. So I'm going to be really focusing in on those, that little marketing campaign that I'm doing, I'm going to hone in on those homeowners. And besides that, I mean, I'm just kind of, kind of not sit back in the sense of like not working, but I'm going to sit back and see how it unfolds. If maybe there's going to be any changes, if they realize that this kills an entire sector of development and maybe they reconsider, which probably won't happen, but there'll be some kind of pivot. I mean, there's always some kind of pivot, right? Whether it's regulations that come into play, a certain business model is not feasible anymore. There's innovation. I mean, there's always, in, in all business, not just real estate, there's something that causes you to pivot. You have to change or die. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're going to make it work. Now, you mentioned that particular deal, uh, pre-development costs and then soft and hard costs to actually get the new property built you were in for 1.1. So what do those costs include? Generally speaking, we don't need to talk about that property in particular, or we can, it's up to you. But there's, you know, I'm sure there's permits involved. And you had to knock the first house down. That probably costs money. And then figuring out, getting approved plans to build the new one. I mean, there's so much involved there. So let's dig into the the costs. So you want me to like, you, I know you said don't go into every line item, but you're saying you just on my eye level, what are you You certainly can. I love details. <laughs> we'll be here. Well, this will be an hour show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the first, after we're, after we're purchasing the property or even while we're in escrow, honestly, I have my, my architects going on the plans, right? So we got, we got architecture and we got engineering. So they're going on that. And then we got our city fees, which Los Angeles loves to feed developers. Yeah. So we got, we, got, we got plenty of fees involved as part of those costs for submittal, for any corrections, for every single department. I mean, once we get our actual permits, we got demolition. Before even demolishing, you got to get asbestos testing to make sure there's no asbestos in the property. There is asbestos, you got to pay to get it removed. What else we got in pre? I'll think if I come back to any that comes to the top of my head, but you know, once we pay for the actual permits, which are also a pretty, pretty hefty price tag, then we're, you know, going into the actual hard construction. And outside of that, I mean, we got, you got builder's risk insurance, you got liability insurance, you got property taxes. So you got no shortage of, of costs outside of the actual <laughs> material. 
<laughs> gotcha. Okay. And I'm sure along with the incredible costs and fees and all of that, that the city imposes, there's also a time frame involved that you know, you're, you when you submit your plans, you're probably not getting the guy that likes to respond to emails in a day. It could take some amount of time. So what's the time frame involved for all of that as well? So pre-COVID, we were actually getting these approved in about six, seven months. And then, and then when everybody started working from home at the city, and we're not getting it political, but I guess, you know, they, 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 they got other things to do at home, like laundry and dishes. So they were taking a little bit longer to uh, get those things pushed through. So now, even though people are back in the office, it, it's not the same. You're still not really able to go up to building and safety's offices and interact with the plan checkers. So you got to submit and they got to quarantine your papers still. It's, it's a little silly process, but insane, yeah, 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 it's silly. But outside of that, it's taken like, eight to nine months. So not, not the end of the world, but everything is by right that I do. So it's not, you know, compared if you talk to other developers that are having to get their plans entitled and go through hearings, what I do is easy peasy lemon squeezy. So, um, <laughs> it, 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 it's the whole, the whole thing. That's why before we were probably knocking these projects out in about 18 months. Now it's getting closer to like a full two years from start to finish. Wow, that that's a long time. And so that time frame you mentioned about there was a question of escrow. Where does that eight to nine months of approval approval fall in terms of when you get the property on a contract versus when you close? I'm sure there's there's a time frame in there, but you're not knocking anything down, you're not shovels or anything like that until that nine months is done. So that nine months after you get on a contract, how's that time frame all work out? I try to demo the property as quick as possible. I just don't, you know, I don't want the liability of a vacant structure there. I actually had a huge fire at a vacant property yesterday. Yeah, which I can send you some videos and pictures of when we're off the air if you'd Man. like to see. But yeah, that's literally the the one thing that I always like hammering on the on my on my team is say like, let's get this building done. You know, I don't want anybody getting in there hurting themselves, a fire, somebody squatters. dies. Yeah, squatters. So there's there's a lot of problems that can happen with vacant property. So I try to demo ASAP. But yeah, typically during those nine months before we're actually starting construction, it's really just the city fees, uh, getting everything through plan check. I mean, certain testing, uh, there's, there's not all that much going on day to day outside of the, the architects that I work with pushing it through the city. Okay. Okay. Now I'm, I'm curious because I'm looking on your website. I'm obviously seeing all these properties and, and folks out there, if you want to see the properties that he does telosproperties.com. We'll put a, put a link in the show notes. They're very nice properties. Curious about the the design, the finish, the, and the the segment of the population that you're you're targeting with these properties. Like I said, they're very nice. So you're going high end, but how do you know what to go for and, and everything along those lines? Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the world of LA, I wouldn't call them High end. I mean, they're Fair new. Enough. They're not. I try. I, they're they're nice. I try to keep them looking nice. You know, I'm not putting the the cheapest of the cheap material in there. But at the end of the day, it is a business, right? So I'm trying to build these as inexpensively as possible, and that starts with the architecture. I mean, my architects and the engineers know that I'm building these things as inexpensively as possible. So we do cost effective engineering, as little steel as possible. I want the plumbing to run smoothly, so I'm not building soffits all over the place, which still inevitably happens. But, you know, the actual material that I'm paying for, you know, I try to work out deals with vendors that I have repeat business with. So everything is, is you know, cost effective. The actual architecture itself, these are most of the time boxes, right? So there's nothing overly complicated or fancy about it. They're usually townhouse style every single time. And the typical 
the tenants that I have in there, it really ranges on the area that the buildings are in. I try to build as many bedrooms as possible because that usually leads to less turnover. You know, if it's a single or one bedroom, two bedroom, usually it's, you know, younger people or people that may be upgrading sometime soon. So, or have a family soon. So those people tend to move more often. So I like the bigger units and, you know, even the bigger units sometimes like in North Hollywood, for example, there's a lot of roommates. A lot of people work and live near an arts district. They're younger, younger people and they'd rather save a few bucks. So they pay their fair share of the rent for their room. Um, but it, it really just depends on the, on the area where we're building. Okay. Okay. How do you think about features like, I mean, it's been a w- little while since I've been to California, but a lot of Teslas out there, right? So how do you think about features like car chargers in the home or, or other things that folks might look for that are maybe a little step up, but could be a good investment in the long run? Because once you put that charger in there, it's in there for good. And most of the ma- major manufacturers right now are saying that we're done building internal combustion engines sometimes in 2030, 2035 timeframe. Right. Well, in our beautiful city of Los Angeles, they actually require us to have a certain level of energy efficiency in Mm -hmm. the buildings, Mm -hmm. um, which from what I understand now, they're going to require us to put in solar panels moving forward. I haven't done a project yet that will, that has that. So I don't know. We'll see how that works out. They've had to be solar ready for a while, ready. So they're like just a space for people to put them in. But now it's not like we're going to have to put solar panels. But the, the, the electric vehicle chargers is something that we've actually been putting in for a while because out of all the energy efficient options, I agree with you. I think it's the future. And I think most people are going to end up driving electric vehicles at some point. So mm-hmm. we have been putting them in our buildings. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's definitely good to see because that's that's looking forward because again, the car manufacturers are telling us that they're going to be done making gasoline cars kind of soon, especially if you're talking about a real estate development and ownership type of time frame. So now I want to talk about capital. We we still have exit strategy on the on the table. So we're going to get on the shelf rather, we're going to get to that. But capital, I mean, we're talking big deals, right? And you're a young guy. I'm going to assume you didn't have nearly $2 million sitting in the bank. So where are you getting the money to do these deals? How are you raising it? Where are you getting it? Um, I mean, I have, I have my investors. It started very kind of like everything else, right? Very grassroots, family, friends, some family members that came in on my first couple deals. And then I was very active just like in finding deals, finding investors. I was going to networking events. I was putting myself out there. Um, I was you know, uh, meeting with guys whenever I could, I got a lot of no's, but kind of just like sales, you know, you got to get through a few no's before you get a couple of yeses. And I also was lucky in the sense that I had my mentor whose office I still work out of. And, you know, I had him as part of my pitch too. So it's like, Hey, I I'm the one running the show. These are my deals, but I do have somebody who's very experienced in doing what I'm trying to do here, looking over my shoulder. So that, that definitely helped. And now I have repeat customers. We've done a few deals and the deals have panned out well so far. So they're happy with, with what they're getting, their returns, the, the service that I'm providing them. And, you know, they bring in their friends because as soon as a deal goes well and they start telling their friends about it, then those guys want to come in on the deals. So I've actually had, you know, not like I have a million deals going on, but like I haven't had an issue of capital right now. I've had an ca- issue of finding enough deals to satiate the capital. Nice. Okay. And you yeah. mentioned earlier that you're doing a refinance toward the, the back end. So it's a front end, all debt 
like loans or, or how's that structured when you go to do the acquisition and then the construction and all that? I've done it a couple of different ways also. Um, so I've done projects where it's entirely like hard money. I'll go syndicate the funds that are needed, like outside of the construction loan, which if I'm just, if I'm syndicating it right. And I have to sign for the loan, which I've done in the past, my signature, my guarantee didn't mean anything. So I couldn't go to a first Republic or a thing in California, any of these larger institutions to get a construction loan, which would have been cheaper. I have to go the private money route. So I've done that for just the construction piece. And then we would buy the, the land cash. That's typically the, the route I would like to go. I also uh, have done deals where we've done the entire deal out of cash. Just, you know, investors that had too much capital laying around, not enough deals. So they didn't want to pay for the debt. We ended up doing the whole thing out of, out of equity. And um, now I'm doing a few deals with First Republic, who's uh, my bank that I have a lot of my, my permitted debt with as well. And they are doing the construction piece for me. We usually buy the, the deals cash and then we go to them for the construction piece. But we've also done some bridge products with them. They'll help us purchase the property and then bridge it over into the construction piece and then the, the permanent piece. So they're kind of getting it on all ends. So I've done it a lot of a lot of different ways. Awesome. Nice. I like it. I like the creativity. Yeah. So, okay, now we're on exit strategy. So you're refinancing, putting tenants in there. Is that the main plan or, or how much are you looking at? Hey, I'm going to do this project and then sell it off and move on to the next one. You know, what the yeah. range there? Yeah, my, my long-term goal is to accumulate as many units as possible for the company. So I try to hold as many as I can. I have sold a few projects. Usually I try to do some single family projects that I sell off to, to, you know, churn the capital and get my own funds that I can put into my own deals. But typically most of the deals have been where we'll refinance and we'll, we'll put tenants in there and we'll, we'll hold them. Okay. Interesting. So I'm curious about how you're managing and everything, but I'm also curious about, you know, accumulating units in such a, landlord unfriendly area, right? There are a lot of areas that are better to be a landlord in than LA or really anywhere in California. So let's talk about those things and we're going to, you know, move on. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I, during the, during the pandemic, I only had 10 units that were actually rented out. Everything else was in construction. So I, I wasn't like, um, my mentor who has quite a few units and, had a lot of tenants that weren't paying rent because the state told them that they didn't have to pay rent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got lucky in that regard. Uh, all my tenants were paying and understanding that we are, uh, you know, a smaller uh, firm at this point um, and needed their help to to keep the properties going. But yeah, I mean, it's difficult. It comes with its fair share of challenges, just like every other part of the business, the acquisition side, development side. And I just try to, you know, do as best I can on that side of the business as I do on the other sides of the business and the construction side of the business, I want to, I want to keep all my guys that are working with me, you know, happy and busy and paid well. And I want them to continue to want to work for me and same thing with the tenants. I, you know, I want to make sure that they're heard and they're taken care of. And if there's any maintenance issues, we're on top of it that, you know, I'm not just worrying about them paying rent. I also worry about their, their happiness and that they're, you know, finding a home in our units. So I think up to this point, we you know, not like we haven't had our fair share of mistakes, but I, I really try to focus on on that side as well. So okay. that's that's worked so far. But the the, the regulations don't help. That answer your question. <laughs> 
So are you managing yourself or what's the, um, do you have a third party manager? Yes. So we're, the, the company's vertically integrated. So we do everything and the long-term place to keep the management in-house. So I've actually recently hired some help to help me with the management, which has been great, but everything is in-house. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Awesome. Well, I love the strategy and I really appreciate you taking a a deep dive with us today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Josh, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Um, in myself. No, I'm kidding. I think the deal that I, that I mentioned earlier will end up being numerically my best, you know, cash on cash return deal. I've had other deals that have all worked out very similarly, but I think I think all of these development deals kind of fall into the same into the same ballpark. I've had I've had some that haven't worked out, you know, amazingly. But that last deal that I mentioned in North Hollywood that we're wrapping up right now will be probably the best cash on cash return deal. Nice, nice. Well, we had the best in the investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin. This one hurts a little bit more. The worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I haven't lost money on a deal yet, so that's good. Um, haven't even broke even yet, so that's good. That's good. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I actually purchased a, uh, a project in December of last year, right before my birthday on Christmas Eve. My birthday's on Christmas. Oh, cool. And the, the SB8 that I mentioned a little bit earlier came into play January 1st. So apparently that will affect all properties that have not been submitted to the city before January 1st, Ooh. which mine was not. Right. So I don't think I'm going to end up losing money on that deal, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't know which the city is like geared up already and they're, you know, slamming them on all these projects that are coming through right now, or if they're kind of still getting their bearings. So I know that's probably not the greatest answer, but uh, that may be the worst one. I don't know. It may end up being okay, but I haven't had, I haven't I really haven't had a bad deal yet. Okay. So, but it's something that you're, you're concerned about. Now I'm, uh, I'm curious about this. You mentioned the, if they were living in it, the former owner was living in it for five years and you can prove that, then that rule doesn't apply. At least that's the current interpretation of the, of the rule. Yes. So that wasn't the case with this property. Tenants. Tenants. Okay. Interesting. Tenants. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, Best of luck with that. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? The people around you are super important to your success in all regards. So starting from, you know, your mentor, if you can have a mentor around that's done what you're trying to accomplish, that's been super, super helpful for me. Ideas that I can bounce off of him and you know, if there's things that I'm uncertain about, or maybe I'm worried about, usually he's been through it. So that's been incredibly helpful for me. So if you can go and find a mentor, as far as the people that are around you day to day, you know, whoever that might be, my 
my construction team, my architects, my now assistant, my insurance agent, my real estate agents that I work with. I mean, everybody around me that is so vital to my success. And I give them all the credit and I may be coming in every day and putting in my, my hours and my effort. But if you're not somebody that people want to work with, work for, then, you know, you can only go so far. So I really pride myself on being respectful and appreciating everybody's time and making sure they're compensated well and that I treat them well. Um, so people around you are very important and make sure you treat them as, as such. Nice. I like that. And I appreciate you sharing your time and your knowledge with us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you or your business or what you're up to, where can they track you down? I'm on most social media platforms, except the newer ones, which I haven't got up to speed, got up to speed yet <laughs> with. So I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Instagram at Telos Properties, uh, which is all the real estate stuff. I'm sure people don't want to see my, my personal life. I got LinkedIn, same thing at Telos Properties, or my name, Josh Gorkowski. We're on Facebook. I got my actual website, which you mentioned earlier, telosproperties.com. And I try to keep all the projects and things that we're doing up to date. We also have an investor newsletter, um, which we send out every quarter that kind of our take on the market, what's going on, updates on our projects, stuff like that, if anybody's interested in that. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you once again for joining us today and sharing all the great lessons with us. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.